I wish I was going. Are you going to be around long? No. Leaving in the morning. I guess I won't see you. Maybe someday? I'll keep a lookout. Yeah. I'll be at the Academy next season, and then who knows? I won't be drafted into the Imperial Starfleet, that's for sure. Well, take it easy, buddy. You'll always be the best friend I've ever had. So long, Luke. Jason. And this is Gabe. This week we are talking about... I, you know what? Can we make a bold statement that this is the most de- famous deleted scene of just about any movie ever? Considering the history of this deleted scene? Yes, we're talking about the Tashi Station, the big scene from A New Hope. It's a real big deal. <laughs> but I think you're right because I was thinking that maybe the like Luke building the saber in return of the jedi would be a bigger deal or grandma squadron or something like that that we didn't we didn't see until the blu-rays came out but really because this is part of the original original star wars i think you're right that this is the biggest of the big deals and and the fact that it didn't end up in the special edition makes it even more special because that the whole thing that a month or so ago it seems like so long ago in episode two of the Book of Boba Fett, the Tribes of Tatooine, we had the the wonderful scene where Boba Fett goes to Tashi Station and the amazing lookalike actors for Cammy and Fixer were there. But it's also super crazy that they did that period, but it's such a cool shout-out to something so legendary in Star Wars history, though it's 
its place in Star Wars history today is wild because it's almost like the reason why it's so legendary is so kind of outdated. <laughs> it's almost that it's kind of been forgotten about. It could have been an important scene in a way, but it's kind of not at all an important scene, which is kind of why it didn't get put back in for the special editions. And it's not like ridiculous, like Luke and 3PO in the, in the land speeder in front of the rear projection. It's a real scene, but maybe it's just kind of gotten lost in all the other star Wars-ness that's been out in the last 20 years. Well, now it's, you can just look it up on YouTube and it's there. It's on Disney plus, at least in the United States. You can just flip over to the extras of a new hope and just watch it anytime you want. But for decades, it was just as elusive as the holiday special, which in star Wars insider number 35, there's an article by, living legend and friend of the show, Dr. David West Reynolds, where he makes that comparison. And it's really true because pre-YouTube, the holiday special was something people didn't even believe even existed. And you have to be like, oh, I, I, know, a, I know someone who knows someone who has a VHS tape of it. But the difference, the real difference between this scene and the holiday special was this big scene was in the novelization it was in the comic book. It was in the radio drama. And probably the one that messed most people up was it was in the Star Wars storybook, the big-sized hardcover story of Star Wars for kids mostly that was illustrated with tons of photos from the movie with photos of the scene. So then there was a whole thing after Star Wars had come out and it played in theaters and then it after the re-releases and there was a whole group of people who swore at one time when they went to go see Star Wars that this scene was in it. Well, and at the time it was really hard to disprove that. And especially if someone has vivid memories of, I know I saw that scene because they saw it in the book, but they don't remember they saw it in the book. And it's like, who's right? Someone vividly remember seeing it and another person's telling them they're crazy because I've seen the movie and it's not in it. That's what life was like before the internet. You thought you were losing your mind. <laughs> it's like the movie with the Spider-Man doll in the oven. Yes. Yeah, so there was this movie from 1979 called, and your name is Jonah, which was played on HBO just nonstop in the early 80s. And there's a scene where this character, Jonah, this little kid, puts a Mego Spider-Man doll in the oven. And there's tons of people who watched way too much HBO in the early 1980s who all remember this movie where a kid puts a Spider-Man doll in the oven. Because it was traumatic. <laughs> it was like the most horrifying thing I ever saw as a child was just imagining someone putting my Spider-Man in an oven. I remember the scene vividly and I think it's on YouTube and I don't want to watch it because it's too terrifying. It's like the end of Superman three. I've seen it once and I'm good. But I remember the day when I talked to you about that and you knew what I was talking about. And I felt like I, I that was like the first time in so many years I felt like I wasn't crazy. 
Because literally, anytime I would ever meet someone new, I'd be like, do you ever see a movie where this kid put a Spider-Man down in the oven? <laughs> That's usually, that usually breaks the ice when meeting someone new. <laughs> Hello. My name is Gabe. Do you remember a movie where kid puts that? And that's why we're recording Blast Points today, because sometime in the mid-1990s, I was like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Ooh, and I get the chills. But that's, you know, that's kind of like the big scene. It was legendary. To the point where I mean, when the special editions were first announced and when originally there was only going to be a special edition for Star Wars, A New Hope, every day people were like, oh, they're gonna, there's going to be a new special edition of Star Wars. Is the big scene going to be put in it? Oh, well, they're probably going to put the big scene in it, right? And then the special edition comes out and it has the extra part at the end, right before the Battle of Yavin, with the, hey, pigs! And I remember being in the theater for the special edition this is 11 times over two days. And just about every time over that Friday and Saturday that I was there, every time the Hey Big scene would come on, the audience would break into cheers. The people clapping like, ah! because everybody knew, oh, my God, this is as close as we're ever going to get to an acknowledgement that the big scene exists. Again, it was a big deal. <laughs> It was first publicly shown, amazingly, at San Diego Comic-Con in 1997 when Steve Sansweet did a Star Wars presentation there. That's when it was first shown to the public, and people lost their minds, supposedly. And then like, it was first officially made available on the incredible 1998 Behind the Magic CD-ROM. Which, Gabe, don't, do you have a copy of that? I do. I do still have a copy. I don't think I have any computer old enough to play it. <laughs> but I do. I do have it. The reason I bought that CD-ROM, I think, was just to see the big scene from the beginning of the movie. And I want to say it was, isn't it in black and white on there? Oh, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. It, at least some of it is in black and white, like the the part with the treadwell and he's looking in the binoculars. Like I know for a fact that part was black and white, but I can't remember if if all of it was at that point because it was probably just scans of the of the work prints at that point. Yeah, I know. I first saw it back in the day, going to a bunch of comic book conventions, and I was just collecting Star Wars rarities, VHS tapes, and then eventually they transitioned to Star Wars rarities. DVDs and I have tons tons of them and I got one that was all just basically just like a VHS tape someone recorded of the stuff from behind the magic and I know that was my first time seeing it and yeah I think my bootleg VHS tape it's all in black and white and it's really hard to hear but that kind of added to the charm of it where it's just like oh I'm seeing something I'm not supposed to see and it's really old and grainy and someone stole this footage or something. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like I remember watching it and thinking, Oh, they probably didn't use this cause they only have the black and white version. That's all that exists. Little did we know. And then it finally was made widely available, looking good on the Blu-ray, which is wild to think about the Blu-ray was so long ago now, even. And we've lived with all the content from that Blu-ray for this long. And I feel like I don't, I don't know if I've even watched everything on the Blu-ray. 
I, there's so much, yeah, there's so much stuff on there. I keep thinking I did. And then every couple months it's like realizing, wait, that's on the Blu-ray. <laughs> I don't remember seeing that on there. Eventually this year, hopefully we're going to do a whole episode on the Blu-rays because it's, the Blu-rays are still really amazing. But the Blu-ray was really the first time where like it looked pretty good. Yeah, because at least it was in color. It had sound. It felt like you were really watching a scene from the movie, not just some spy footage that somebody stole out of a lab or something. And kind of what we're going to be getting into with this episode is the whole Biggs, Tashi Station, Anchorhead, whatever, deleted scene. It's it's really in three parts that would have been chopped up amongst the opening scenes of star wars and we're, we're gonna get all into it but it's really crazy how much it would have changed the whole flow of the beginning of star wars the scenes are tonally so different than everything else they're more character focused something we're going to talk about a lot is how it would have made it kind of less weird and almost would have made star wars feel more like a normal human being movie <laughs> It's kind of like it's the ultimate deleted scene, like we were saying, because it it works better on its own than being a part of the actual movie that it's cut from. It's definitely one of those scenes that you watch it and you understand why it's not in the movie. And you're not like, oh, that would have been cool. They should have kept that in or, oh, they must have just cut that for time. It It looks like something, yeah, that potentially would have changed the feel of, of the beginning of the movie significantly. Yeah, as we're going to be talking about, like you said, this scene, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's, it's a big deal with leather pants, a cape, and a mustache. It's that bigs of a deal. to have the film be led by the droids and when some friends of mine read the screenplay they were adamant that I not do that they thought my first film THX was a little too esoteric and they thought making a film where in the first 20 minutes you're dealing primarily with just the droids would not work but I loved the idea and even though I shot those sequences which were about Luke and setting up Luke at the very beginning of the movie and that sort of thing I never liked it and I never wanted it in the movie so I basically kept it the way I originally wrote it. The first cut of the film had the intercuts of Luke on the planet with what was going on in space, but it just wasn't the movie I wanted to make. I mean, I wanted to make it about this kind of odd couple and tell the story from their point of view. And the film was kind of shot from their point of view, so you know, I, I was sort of amused by that. At the time, it was a very bold idea, again, to have the first half hour be mainly about robots. So the character of Biggs, and more so the name Biggs, was always kind of around, even in the earliest draft of Star Wars, the 1974 draft. Biggs was one of the sons of the amazing Star Wars character that we never got, King Chaos. That we never got yet. <laughs> King Chaos might be making Book of Boba Fett right now. 
who's pulling the strings on Book of Boba Fett? Well, that'd be King Chaos. <laughs> I mean, I, I love what King Chaos is up to. Yeah, King Chaos is doing good work. Yeah, so Biggs was one of the sons of King Chaos, uh, along with Wendy. And then later he became one of the twins that were Luke's two twin brothers. They were both like twin princes or something. I, it's still like going back to the early George Lucas drafts of Star Wars. It's still, I, I still go cross-eyed trying to read them and trying to figure it all out. <laughs> So later, Biggs kind of became like a like a Han Solo kind of character that was like a mentor character. And then as the script evolved, Biggs became the friend that he is at, in the deleted scenes. He's still really kind of a mentor, and he's still kind of like an older brother figure for Luke. He's somebody that Luke definitely looked up to. Yeah, because according to uh, what the annotated screenplays in the third draft, he's there. He's tall and handsome. He's still a cadet who graduated from the academy. But then in the fourth draft, he's still there. But now Biggs is different. He didn't graduate. He signed up with the Alliance. But then again, it changes before they shoot the movie where now he's planning to leave the academy. So the character of Biggs, yeah, went through a lot of changes over the over the drafts. So then on April 4th, 1976, the very last day of the Tunisia sh- shoot, they filmed the big scene. Garrick Hagen played Biggs, as we all know. Anthony Forrest, who was a musician, played Fixer, a.k.a. Lay's Lone Ozer, it's an awesome Star Wars name, and Koo Stark plays Fixer's girlfriend, Cammie Marstrap. And we can't forget in the back, we briefly see the other two kids, Deke and Wendy, who are two more names from the never-ending early drafts of the movie. But they're playing space air hockey or something, so that's a cool thing. So then in late October, early November, 1976, and this is from Rinsler's always wonderful making of Star Wars book. The first cut of Star Wars is shown. This is a cut that is pretty much accurate to the shooting script. It still has the World War II footage. It still has human Jabba. It still has the two trench runs, etc., And Lucas pretty much shows this, according to the book, to the film's editors, Paul Hirsch, Richard Chu, Marsha Lucas, and, of course, Ben Burtt. Ben Burtt's there, of course. And by going through the original shooting script of Star Wars, you can piece together how these scenes would have been cut into the movie which is one of the wildest things with these deleted scenes, like like we were saying in the beginning of just how it would have dramatically changed this movie. So it would have gone down with, in the beginning, in the blockade runner, there's the lasers going off in the hallway with the, the rebel troops. Before Vader even comes in, it would cut to Luke watching the battle in the sky down on Tatooine. Thank you. 
which I can't imagine like that famous iconic opening and just kind of cutting it to Luke looking up into the sky with binoculars. Yeah, well, he's looking at the sky. He's like looking at a kaleidoscope in the sky. It's like all psychedelic. And there's the wacky droid that malfunctions. And he's like, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> the Treadwell droid. That's yeah, got like Looney Tune sounds. Like how would you cut? Yeah, between that and the beginning. Well, like what would John Williams have had to do? Like how do you do the music you're doing at the beginning of the movie and then cut to the goofy droid? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so then we would cut back to Vader entering the hallway. Everything goes as we know it. R2 and 3PO are leaving in the pod. After that, we would cut to Luke riding his land speeder past an old lady yelling at him. There goes another one. Hold your fire. There's no life for us. Unless a short circuit. That's funny. The damage doesn't look as bad from out here. Are you sure this thing is safe? Who the hell are you? Trying to kill me. What's funny is at the beginning I was like, there's no way they should have put these in the movie. But now that we're kind of talking through it, it would have been a whole different movie, but I kind of want to see that. (laughs) It might have still been pretty weird. It's true. just in a different way. There's people that have tried to reconstruct it on YouTube. There's a bunch of videos where people have tried to put like even effects of Luke going by in his land speeder. And people have tried to add like John Williams music to this. It's it's funky, but people I'm, I applaud everyone that's ever tried. So after Luke goes by in his land speeder past the old lady yelling, which is that's also on Disney Plus amazingly, just like five seconds of an old woman who in the deleted scene, she's literally yelling at and she's yelling at nothing. She's kind of yelling at you for watching the deleted scene because there's no land speeder and she's just kind of looking at you. There are two Jawas chilling out in the background, though, so it does make it kind of worth it. But yeah, maybe that's the the most famous deleted scene. Maybe we were wrong about this Biggs one. It's really the the old lady yelling. So right after the old lady yelling and Luke goes by in his land speeder, then it would cut to Luke busting into Tashi Tashi Station, talking to Cammy and Fixer. Surprise, surprise, Biggs there. Hey, come on, shape it up, you guys. Biggs! Hey! Hey, I didn't know you were back. What you did? Just now. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) I never expected you to be up working. <laughs> well, the academy didn't change you much. Oh, I almost forgot. There's a battle going on right here in our system. Not again. Come Forget on. it. Well, what's all the noise about? You come back down here and play the game. I think Wormy's caught too much sun. Luke is telling them about the battle up in the sky. They look up there. So then after that scene where everybody kind of puts down Luke, then it would cut to Leia talking to Vader. That's no battle, hot shot. They're just sitting there. Probably afraid of tanker refueling. But there was a lot of firing earlier. Hey! I tell you, Luke, the rebellion's a long way from here. This planet, big hunk of nothing. I doubt if the Empire would even fight to save the system. Hey, you watch it. Don't worry about it, Wormy. Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. The Imperial Senate will not sit still for this. 
When they hear you've attacked a diplomatic... Don't act so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. Several transmissions... Then after Leia talking to Vader, it would cut to 3PO and R2 in the desert. And then after 3PO's over here, then it would cut to the big Luke and Biggs chat. Wait, what's that? A transport. I'm saved. Over here! I was so close, I thought I was going to fry my instruments. As it was, I busted up the Skyhopper pretty bad. Doc Baldwin, <laughs> furious. He wound up grounding me for the rest of the season. You should have been there. It was fantastic. You ought to take it a little easy, Luke. <laughs> After the, the Luke and Biggs chat, then it would cut to R2 and the Jawas. A very different opening to Star Wars. Very different. So he shows this to his crew. And it gets very mixed reactions, right? Yeah. In Rinsler's book, Paul Hirsch is talking about it and says, in the first five minutes, we were hitting everybody with more information than they could handle. There were too many storylines to keep straight. The robots, the princess, Vader, Luke. He goes on to say, so we simplified it by taking out Luke and Biggs, instead just presenting the princess and Vader, which is clearer. The princess has the plans, the thing that everyone in the film wants. And he goes on to say, and she gives the plans to the robots. The robots go to the planet and they meet Luke. So now that's relatively simple. But then he goes on to say, but it also made the picture a lot weirder because the main characters became the robots. Yeah. And then Rinsler is talking about how George also felt there was no reason to see Luke until he became an active participant in the story, which, you know, of course makes sense because that's just the way we know Star Wars works. And it's kind of something that people praise Star Wars about. That the main character of Luke Skywalker really isn't introduced until like a good ways into the movie. Then Rinsler goes on to say that Marsha Lucas fought to keep the scenes in the movie. Rinsler says that George didn't like the performances and the later relationships that Luke makes in the film are stronger. Lucas has said many times when he talked about the scene that... He didn't want to include that scene in the script, and he felt like he was pressured into doing it because a lot of people saying that his previous film before American Graffiti, THX1138, was too cold. That was like the big criticism I think everyone said about THX that it was a very inhuman movie, which it kind of is. You know, that's kind of the charm of THX1138. Well, and definitely Marsha was not a fan of THX and thought that it was it was cold and, and unemotional. So it, it makes sense that that she would want to keep in scenes that that seem like they have humans in them. <laughs> and obviously, George isn't always interested in in the humans. Yeah, in the incredible Star Wars annotated screenplay book, it says in here when George Lucas shared his idea early on with his friends and colleagues, they kept telling him it was a bad idea to start the film with only the droids. And it was too much like his first film, THX 1138, and that he should introduce Luke as leading character at the beginning of the story. And then we have this great Lucas rant in the annotated screenplays book where he says, so I did it. I wrote it and I shot it and I looked at it and it worked okay, but it wasn't great. 
I could not get on my mind that poetically speaking, I wanted to have this clean line of the robots talking to Luke, Luke talking to Ben, Ben talking to Han, Han taking you to Leia. I wanted each character to take you to the next person. I finally said, I don't care what people say, that they don't like this movie about robots. I thought they were charming, interesting, and entertaining. They weren't cold like the robots in my first film, THX 1138. So I decided just to trust my heart and I structured the story that way because of the way I felt about it, not because it was logical. There's so much in that giant quote to unpack. It really is. Well, it, it reminds me of the of the George Lucas maker of film interview from a few years prior to this, where he was talking about making choices based on a feeling and not thinking about what he was doing. And that's kind of the, the heart of his uh, frustration here. And I've been trying to carry that through. It was a feeling, and that's when I did it. Mm-hmm. I felt that. And it was a strange thing, because I felt that that was right, and I put that that way, and I felt it when I ran it. Mm-hmm. I felt it, and I said, yeah, that works. And uh, when you get into a bigger film, it becomes an extremely difficult thing to do. When you're in a little controlled situation, you can put something in that you feel, right. and it's very easy to do. Uh, because the the what you're dealing with is fluid enough to where there's no set rigid things that you have to meet. I mean, just feels yeah. good. You can just put it there, and that's the only reason for it being there. Did you find that it was not possible to work that way when you got into uh, on a feature? If you try to explain that to a uh, studio executive that it feels right, they go crazy. Uh-huh. And they say, and because they don't feel it, because I don't think they feel anything. It's almost like. A major theme of Star Wars is trust your instincts. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and and another major theme is I don't care what people say. They don't like my movie about robots. Yeah, a theme of all Star Wars. I don't care what people are saying how I should be doing this. I'm going to do it whatever way I want. (laughs) We talk about all the time, you know, George Lucas dare to be cute, but also there's dare to be weird. Dare to be really, really weird, which by taking out this human element early in the movie of is Leia, you know, Leia's kind of like a diplomat or something. We don't really know what's going on with Leia, who she is. You know, you're part of the Imperial Senate. You know what? Huh? But yeah, taking out Luke and Biggs and Cammy and Fixer and just normal Star Wars people hanging out at a normal Star Wars bar in space as normal as you can get. Yeah, it makes it really weird. It almost removes the the feeling of watching a foreign film or something that you're that's completely alien to you because it starts out with like oh it's like American Graffiti but with people in karate geese. I can understand what's going on here, as opposed to yeah you really don't know what's going on in this movie until the end <laughs> is when it all kind of okay now I understand what I just watched. Well, and what's interesting too is. If this scene or these scenes were to be in Star Wars, then would the, a scene like the binary sunset still be as powerful as it is today? It's like you almost think that like the binary sunset scene tells you everything you need to know from these scenes, but like Lucas is saying, in a more poetic kind of way. Well, and potentially it would have made you constantly contrast this absurd abstract star wars world with the real world because you would even from that first scene you would get the cutting between just normal 
teenager stuff and this fantastical space opera drama? And would it make you constantly second guess everything because you're, you you don't know, you can't just kind of get sucked into this other world because you're thinking about high school kids. And like Lucas is talking about too, like the line from every character we meet leads to the next one. I don't know if watching it in that way, if you would quite know how Luke's story in this desert planet exactly relates to what we're seeing with Leia. I mean, you might start to put together once you see that the droids are there on the desert planet also, but would you even pick it up that it's the same planet? You have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And it's such a big change from just the feeling that Luke has no idea what's going on. And this just kind of destiny just kind of appears out of nowhere. And the idea of him being prepared for the droids, because he's like, oh, you're from that space battle I saw. It's just a very different, it puts Luke in a very different place. Even though he would be acting exactly the same that he does in the rest of the movie, just the idea that he has some inkling of what's going on. And it's not just you watching the movie that 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 knows what's going on. Because yeah, I think that's like the biggest thing. Like Once we start diving into the scene here is kind of what it does for Luke's character it would make him much more of like almost kind of a loser in the beginning of the film. Like everyone's calling him kid. They call him wormy. He's so much younger seeming than Biggs and Cammy and Fixer, like especially Biggs. Cause like I said, Biggs like has a mustache. He's got a cool Cape. He's got leather pants. Biggs is kind of experienced where they, everyone just kind of looks at Luke as like this little farm boy kid that is kind of hanging around. You get that in the regular version, but you get it more from kind of Uncle Owen kind of holding Luke down. Well, and it's also one of those things where it's because it's so kind of ambiguous what Luke's life is like, that it's easier to project what you want on Luke. It's like, okay, he's he's lonely and he's kind of just out here on a farm. And in your mind, you're like, you can imagine if he has friends or doesn't have any friends or you know, what are his friends like? Maybe that's why he wants to go to Tashi Station because he doesn't get to see anyone. Like, you're kind of filling in the story yourself as opposed to being shown ex- specifically what Luke's friends were like. That probably contributes to some of the just people being able to project themselves into into Luke's story of there's just enough of him there to move the story along, but it lets you fill in the details yourself. I mean, even just like the costumes especially with Luke and just the fact that for some of these scenes, he's wearing the floppy hat, like a Gilligan floppy hat where it, it's kind of more like, yeah, them coming right out and saying Luke's a goofy little kid. It's just neat. How really, I think, what is this like six minutes of footage, how much something small like that could really change just the tone and feel of a, of an entire movie in a way. And it is a really interesting example of why you may or may not want to keep a scene in a movie. Because on its own, it's not a it's not bad. And as we get into it, like on its own thing, it works. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I said, it's like the the ultimate deleted scene. It's it's like a little mini movie. It's like Star Wars, like it's like a Star Wars like little interlude. Because especially, yeah, the main scene, the big 
Luke conversation. The acting is amazing. Like Mark Hamill and Garrick Hagen are both just phenomenal, which I don't get George Lucas saying, oh, the performances weren't very good. It's just, I think he might just be making excuses. Like, I didn't like it. It's like the performances are great. But their exchange, it's so fascinating, especially when Biggs starts talking about how he's jumping ship to join the rebellion. They're going to meet someone on Bestine. It introduces the whole idea of the threat of the Empire. I've seen a bunch of people talking about it where Biggs is saying how the Empire could come and take over Tatooine at any moment. Luke is just like, oh, no, there's no way they would come here. I know. But we've got almost enough evaporators to make the place pay off. I have to stay one more season. I can't leave him now. What good's all your uncle's work if the Empire takes it over? You know, they've already started to nationalize commerce and the central systems. It won't be long before your uncle's just a tenant. Slaving for the greater glory of the Empire. No, that's not going to happen here. You said yourself the Empire won't even mess with this old rock. Things can change. And people talking about how in Book of Boba, Chapter 6, is a very similar kind of conversation with Mando and Cobb Vanth. We took out that dragon. My people don't want to fight no more. Your town might be good for now, but it's all part of the same planet. We need good people to step up or the spice is bound to come through these parts. As long as I'm here, that's not a problem. So why should they risk their lives for this Boba Fett? Mas Pelgo might be good right now. Freetown. What? It's called Freetown now. We changed the name. Suits us better. Well, I fought side by side with the citizens of Freetown. And they're brave people. And the Pike Syndicate has us outnumbered, and we need your help. The town wants no part of it. That's a city full fight. Is that what you say too, Marshal? Yeah, just because they're out in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean things can happen. And the Syndicate isn't going to want to come and smuggle spice through Tatooine. Yeah, basically, just because you're in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean that that's enough to protect you. And one thing I've never really understood, and this deleted scene doesn't really help with it, is they're talking about, like, the Academy versus the Empire. I made some friends at the Academy. When our frigate leaves for one of the central systems, we're going to jump ship and join the Alliance. The Rebellion? Quiet up. You got a month bigger than a meteor. I'm quiet, I'm quiet. Listen how quiet I am. You can barely hear me. My friend has a friend on Bestine who might help us make contact. You're crazy. You could wander around forever trying to find them. I know it's a long shot, but if I don't find them, I'll do what I can on my own. It's what we always talked about, Luke. I'm not going to wait around for the Empire to draft me into service. The rebellion is spreading, and I want to be on the side I believe in. Because I always thought, like, in Star Wars, when Luke is like, I'll transmit my, my application to the Academy next year. I mean, I think you just assume that the Academy is like the Imperial Academy or something. Yeah, I've always been confused by that. It's like the original Sifo-Dyas. It's like, what? what is this? It's like he's going to college, but it's like, is it pilot college? And the Empire takes people from there, but so does the Rebellion. So, yeah, it's like, I guess, Spaceship College. Is that what it is? That's, that makes the most sense to me. Because it seems like everyone that goes there is a pilot. 
But you, yeah, you can still get drafted into the Empire, or you can jump ship and join the Rebellion. Yeah, I I think for years people were like, it's a, well, it's a deleted scene, you can't take it too seriously, but then you know, now it's showing up in Book of Boba Fett and some Cammy and Fixer are in there, so I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe, maybe we'll get a Star Wars The Academy show, and the first episode is just a bunch of kids who are like, I don't even know what we do here. <laughs> we just wanted to get out of our house. Maybe it actually is the Imperial Academy, and Biggs just doesn't know it. I don't want to get drafted into the Empire. Wait, this already is the Empire. Ah, oh, nuts. Yeah. So after the conversation ends, Luke is just kind of standing there alone, feeling rejected. It's like I watch this scene, and I try and imagine it with, like, John Williams' music. Like, what would he have done? Well, it's interesting because it is a similar you know, moment to him, like looking out at the suns, but it's definitely played more in your face. Cause then he like throw down a stone. Like he's like, the, you know, like I'm ah shucks. Like it's similar, but it's, it's definitely, yeah. Maybe the Lucas quote is good. It's like, it's less poetic. <laughs> it's more matter of fact, I guess it's a good way to put it. I wish I was going. Are you going to be around long? No. Leaving in the morning. Hmm. I guess I won't see you. Maybe someday. I'll keep a lookout. Yeah. I'll be at the Academy next season, and then who knows? I won't be drafted into the Imperial Starfleet, that's for sure. Well, take it easy, buddy. You'll always be the best friend I've ever had. So long, Luke. But it is, you know, it's really cool that this scene is so widely available now that you can just pull it up on Disney Plus or just go on YouTube and watch it. Because like we said, it is great to have it as just a standalone little Star Wars mini moment because it really does make then that ending with Biggs and Luke kind of reuniting on the Yavin base and all of their communication during the trench run it makes all that kind of more powerful once you've seen this because like you said, when just a days before they're so far apart, Luke and Biggs, Luke is still wormy like this little kid and just through this incredible adventure Luke has had that Luke is now an equal with Biggs. Right. Cause you don't really realize until these scenes were added back in at least the one at the end of the movie that they really knew each other before the battle, knowing that really does kind of change the tone of that whole part in the trench run. And it makes Biggs's end during the Death Star battle kind of mean so much more. Hey, Luke! Hey, how are you? Hey, come up. I'll be right up there with you. And have I got stories to tell you? You sure you can handle this ship, sir? Luke is the best bush pilot in the outer rim territories. You'll do all right. Thank you, sir. I'll try. I gotta get aboard. You'll hear all your stories when we get back, all right? Right. Hey, Biggs. I told you I'd make it someday. It'll be like old times, Luke. They'll never stop us. <laughs> and in the end, it all it comes down to just that George Lucas thing that they're still doing today. Dare to be weird. It's all about the story. Who cares what anybody else says? Story, story, story. Well, and just because you don't have a cape, a mustache, or sweet leather pants, you can still be a hero. (laughs) And the first half 
of A New Hope is still probably the weirdest thing ever put on film that has now become totally normal. And we're still living in the shadow of the ultimate expression of complete bizarreness. And even though all of his friends told him, this is too weird, you cannot put this out. Did it my way. Did it anyways, people. <laughs> right. Look, where did his friends end up? None of them made it. <laughs> That's not true. But <laughs> never heard of any of those guys. Ready to leave his home and everything he'd known to join the fight against the Empire. Armed with his father's lightsaber, he fought for his life, his friends, and the lovely Princess Leah. Luke Skywalker was ready. Luke Skywalker is back. Star Wars is back. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. This is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dulan, Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Blast Points with Jason and Gabe. May the Force be with you always. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. So guess what? Apple Podcast Reviews. If you are listening to this on some sort of Apple something, if you go over there... And write a little something nice after you're done listening. It helps the show in weird ways. It helps more people find Blast Points when they're looking up Star Wars podcasts. And we really love reading your reviews. Brings warm feelings to our hearts every time. And make sure you check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com. And you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of our Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we have got the Blast Points Army on Patreon every weekend. Book of Boba Fett review episodes. Just last weekend, from the desert comes a stranger. Do you know, have you heard anybody talking about this episode at all? It's crazy how this episode came out. No one really had anything to say about it. It's just like crickets. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. You would have expected a little bit more. But... If you want to hear us talking about it, that is on the Blast Points Army Patreon. And a huge thank you to all the members of the Blast Points Army over there. But that about wraps up number 298 here. Almost, almost to our big 300th episode. That's going to be a big steal. It could get hairy, people. So yeah, look forward to that. But until next week... 
Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Trying to kill me. Me a fool.